Sir, excuse me. Are you familiar with uh, rock? You know, uh... try it, try it. Come on. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the IWMP podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. BDBDB. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And uh, yeah, we watched TV again. Yes, we did. Wonderful, glorious TV from the 20th century. I, I honestly do like it when we watch show TV shows, because while a movie is one thing we can sit down and watch, and you as the audience can come sit down and watch it in one sitting in the, and see the same length of show... There is always more content to discover and pick through with a show with a TV show because it's it's so much longer. And I appreciate that sometimes because it means that we get to to see more and work with more stuff to begin with. I'm questioning that on this one, but I was intrigued. <laughs> and we only scratched the surface of the series we talked about this week. Oh, my we goodness. This week. Yeah, we watched a series from 1979, I believe, is when it started broadcast. Mm hmm. And the series is Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh, I want to open with that opening, just in terms <laughs> of a discussion. The year is 1987, and NASA launches the last of America's deep space probes. In a freak mishap, Ranger 3 and its pilot, Captain William Buck Rogers, are blown out of their trajectory into an orbit which freezes his life support systems and returns Buck Rogers to Earth 500 years later. I mean, we're getting right into this here, but I mean, my goodness, that opening, it's you know, let's explain the premise to you each time. It's of that type. And then it is the most upbeat horns song. Which feels weird. There's a transition in there. It's, it's, it's different. And yet it reminds me in some ways of the the uh, the intro to Space 1999, where you've got you know, the exploding Eagle spacecraft brings the funk. And <laughs> here it's you know we they do a great job in a few lines of William Conrad's narration, giving us uh, what is who Buck Rogers is and what has happened to him. And and you're right. Then they go into this super cheerful, um, super cheerful, slightly martial music. Though it's really a an explicitly post-apocalyptic setting, and the survival of humanity is holding on by a thread, and yet, hey, Buck Rogers is here. It's cool. Happy time. Absolutely. Well, the entire opening has him falling, like a, a cutout of him falling through these rings as it goes, as like, I guess it's the... It's the the visual equivalent of him falling through into the future because they've got a counter going in the bottom as time accelerates forward. Right. And there's something about like, it feels like all of the upbeat cheery music is ironic for how awful the world is getting as it, as he goes <laughs> through there. 
And that when I moment the moment I clicked that comparison in my mind, there's one moment where this horn section pops up in the middle, like da 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 da, and it's like, what in the world happened to the Earth at the time period that horns is for? Because if it is, <laughs> if it is ironically chipper for how bad it got, oh my goodness, things were really awful during that one moment. You see, over on another TV show, uh, The Curse of Oak Island. We've been learning a lot over the past few months about dendrochronology, about dating things, not just for their age, but their specific dates based upon the rings of the, the, the tree rings that they're seeing in the lumber from which things were made. So I think you're suggesting a um, some musical brass section equivalent of dendrochronology. Okay, that happened just when they got to the year... 2386 what happened in 2386 to make that cool funk trumpet come in yeah, cut cut the trumpet in half and count the quarter <laughs> notes and see what we find so yeah that that is it's it's a strange intro but it's a weirdly effective intro i will agree because it is it is harsh and dramatic and then way too kooky <laughs> and my goodness that describes so much of this show there is a lot of we mentioned space 1999 already there was so much of those sort of shows that have this look and this style to them that physicality i liked so much yeah and there there's so much of those stories that take themselves dark and serious and they are are trying to tell you something about humanity and in the same way you can get a group of people to play a board game or a, a tabletop rpg game and they will some people will get into it and they'll play this serious, deep, grand story with you. And other people will be absolutely off the walls crazy and do things that no one was expecting anyone to do in the game. This feels like a counterpoint. This feel, Buck Rogers feels like someone took the same premise or the same sort of base game that everyone else was playing and just ran with the silly side of things <laughs> at times this is often cited as and not incorrectly as one of tv's attempts to capitalize on and catch up with star wars and we've talked before about how in the, the 70s and early 80s especially Hollywood movies were leading the way into what was new and super popular and tv would sort of try to catch up so from uh uh, from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, we end up with Project UFO. And from Star Wars, we ended up with, possibly among other things, Battlestar Galactica, which we haven't talked about yet, but I'm sure we will sometime, and Buck Rogers. And I think that that's accurate, but for one thing, I think that uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century makes Star Wars seems like seem like cold calculating super hard super accurate science fiction because buck rogers is just blow the doors off space opera absolutely no no logic no physics it's simply adventure that happens to have spa spaceships and ray guns yeah there's and the other thing i think you've got to recognize about buck rogers is that it, it it, it's using a character that goes all the way back to the 1920s. Somebody cast around thing. We, we got to do something like the Star Wars thing. That's what the kids like these days. And they found, oh, there's this character who's been in 
comics and, and fiction and serials and all that since uh, the, the 20s. Let's let's bring Buck Rogers back. But in creating the TV series Buck Rogers, they were also influenced by other sci-fi of the 70s. Yeah. the We were really starting to see the environmental catastrophe, post-apocalypse sort of uh, science fiction in things like Rollerball. And other uh, sci-fi of the 70s that was, what, what do we do when the planet breaks? And that's the situation we're in, in this cheerful, happy-go-lucky, let's-have-a-space-adventure TV show. Welcome to New Chicago. You can't go outside. There's not enough air. Right, yeah. If the lack of air doesn't kill you, the zombies and the radiation will. <laughs> but... But but inside here, uh, let, let's decorate your apartment. <laughs> right there, there's some some very chipper playing of Fallout going on, and I do I do appreciate the fact that they 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 actually have Buck Rogers go out of the city of New Chicago in the first episode that we saw, and he finds the graves of like his parents, the people he knew. First of all, that's kind of remarkable. You get the impression that many, many billions of people died rather unpleasantly when the planet collapsed. Yeah. And yet he was able to find these two particular specific graves in a specific um, graveyard in, in old Chicago, not the pizza place, the (laughs) ruins of the, the city next to which new Chicago was built. And for that, so that's remarkable. And yet story-wise, it really was important because it gave him that turning point. It was, there's no way to go back to what I knew, the 25th century where I am now. That's where I live now. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I, we're giving it, I'm giving it a lot of you know, flack for its silly nature. But they do, in that first episode, tackle the... A man out of time has to come to terms with where he is and when he is now. And they do so pretty well, hinging on the fact that they've created Buck Rogers as a man who is a ball of naught but charisma. <laughs> yes. This, this is a man who is physically strong enough to throw a decent punch and smart enough to you know, do a lot of good piloting and such. He's not an incompetent man, but he doesn't have a lot of, he is not great on the social graces standardly. And he is extremely just, hi, I'm Buck Rogers. Right. He is, he is, especially for a, a, a United States Air Force captain, he is rather informal and doesn't, really care about formality in any way and yet he is very charming and charismatic and people tend to gravitate towards him and like him and he's played by gil gerard who hams it up plays it like the hey i'm the super cool air force guy and uh i think yeah he he brings that character to life really well but you're right it's it's so much of it is about the contrast between the character of buck rogers and the 25th century society that he finds himself in. And like we said, that is a society in which humanity is clustered into these like cities. New Chicago is where we spend most of the time, but we hear about other cities like New Tulsa, 
and things like that. I don't know that we hear about any coastal cities because I'm not sure the coastlines are still there. Yeah, uh, there's not there's not much of you know New Florida, <laughs> right? Although not or I mean. It dep- we hear about these places, but we can't tell they're not coastal cities now. That's true, a good point yeah. to be. Like, that that is true. The, uh, Tulsa could very well be on like the uh, the new uh, coastline of the Gulf of Mexico, for all we know. Mm-hmm. And and something about this society in which he finds himself, humanity does not trust itself anymore. So it is volunt. It is. With with apparently the the happy or at least resigned consent of the people, run by computers. Yeah, it, there's a there's a form of like resigned Twitter that has just invaded the rest of public consciousness, <laughs> and everyone gave up everything to Siri and the Legion of Siri. Like the smartest person we meet, Doctor Hewer, who's kind of the head scientist person in the Earth Defense Forces. Uh, your typical, you know, thin, gray-haired science dude. He explains how, well, of course, we let the Council of, of Artificial Intelligence Machines run the city for us, including controlling the weather and everything else. Humanity's proved that it's bad at that, and we almost destroyed the planet and, and our species. So, of course, the computers do it. And the um, until Buck Rogers shows up, the... Pilots of the Earth Defense Forces, led by Colonel Wilma Deering, played by Aaron Gray, they're flying around in their ships, but everything's done by computer. They have combat computers that handle all of the the fighting. And of course, they get to a point in some scrape where the combat computers aren't good enough. So Buck Rogers, who's never been in one of these starfighters before, takes it off of computer control, puts it into manual, and outflies everybody. That's the kind of thing they're showing. It's the basic humanity that Buck Rogers brought with him from the 1980s is what humans desperately need in the 25th century. Mm-hmm. There is something about that first episode's little plot there of, you know, a man from out of town shows up and teaches a local group how to drive manual and they win the competition that feels oddly sports movie in a fun way. <laughs> but yeah, it's it. There is something of the, you know, and we see a little bit of this. He gets a little bit into their their structure and understands why they do what they do later on. Because we saw later in the first season episodes, and he was a little bit more, okay, we've got to at least play by part of your book. But at the same time, we also saw everyone else being a little bit more, oh, you're you, a distinct individual with with your methods. And we can trust those. Surprisingly, it was actually kind of a cross learning a, a man with a man with less discipline than he should is taught and teaches in kind to a group of people that can't break from a rep- from a repetition and I think this is why he is so charming to all of the the people and beings that he he encounters because you know he the 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 formula of a lot of these stories is that there's a bad guy and he has some mission to thwart what the bad guy's doing or the bad guy's trying to thwart the mission that Buck Rogers has to help save Earth. And somewhere in the bad guy's organization is a person, almost always a woman, who yeah. Buck Rogers can talk to, 
charms, lets them understand that they have a choice to do good or to do bad, and eventually they help Buck Rogers, and that's what uh, what's helps helps him save the day. Buck Buck Rogers, the visual novel protagonist, <laughs> right? Now, I think that the reason why he is so effectively charming to everybody he meets is that he has something that just doesn't exist, at least not among good people in this 25th century, and that is confidence. Dr. Hewer has confidence in his knowledge. Colonel Deering has confidence in her authority and in the structure of the Defense Force. But Buck Rogers has confidence in himself Uh, and, and his ability to make decisions and do things. And others that we meet just don't have that, with the exception of some of the bad guys who use that confidence to oppress and take advantage of others. Buck Rogers uses that magic power of confidence to help others. One of the first things lost in the cataclysm was all publishers and collections of self-help books in the universe. (laughs) So maybe Buck Rogers, rather than this one-on-one retail level, go on spy missions and and fighter missions, he should go on a speaking tour and bring confidence back to the humans of the 25th century. He should be the Tony Robbins of the 20th century. Oh, goodness. That that is a highly frightening concept. (laughs) But yeah, the, there is so much of the, the the you forgot about the human element to every single one of the stories. And that can be very fun. But the setup they go through to make sure that happens every time, the inherent awkwardness of the fact that it's always him picking up a lady <laughs> to some extent and getting, oh, oh Buck, you're so amazing. And the... And the back and forth sometimes of maintaining a, a an ever-growing universe, but never straying too far from this center line we can use, mm-hmm. gets a little awkward. Yeah, I mean, this it gets is, quite awkward at times. It is, you know, or late 1970s TV, so all the stories are going to be similar. There's not going to be much change of characters from one episode to another. So you're right, they they kind of stick to that very uh, straightforward, who is this character and how does he interact with other people? And there's a whole lot of good, co- there's a whole lot of coincidence that helps out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of the writing is a little bit lazy in its, uh, in its reliance upon coincidence. Oh, just the, just the first bit from the first episodes. So we get him flying up in his shuttle as a, a one-man crew of a shuttle, I guess. Right. It was they they referred to it as the last of of Earth's deep space probes. I don't know where he was headed. It looks like maybe he was in a one man space shuttle shaped thing headed in the direction of the moon. And then he blasts into this long elliptical orbit that leaves him frozen and comes back to Earth in 500 years. But uh, so, yeah, I'm not entirely sure why that is. But essentially, we we find we, we start out with the frozen buck rogers coming back into the inner solar system and he's immediately shot at and then they realize he's not shooting back and picked up by our bad guys actually the draconians well you say bad guys but they were on a a mission to sign a peace treaty and a trade uh, agreement with earth who desperately need the resources and then they were sitting in there 
elaborately decorated little palace on their ship and describing the fact that they have an entire uh, fleet of armed fighters that they're not supposed to on their diplomatic mission and how this is all a ruse to take over earth yeah that's true it doesn't take very long for us to find out the that the draconian empire <laughs> are in fact the bad guys i mean you know it's it, i suppose it could happen bad guy make bad guy corp for whenever you need bad guys yeah and we say bad guys but they're uh, the this delegation at least is um led by the Princess Ardala, who's one of 30 daughters of the Emperor of the Draconian Empire. And, you know, the stakes are pretty high for her to make this mission and this, this sneak attack really work. Or her 29 sisters will come in and, and try to take her place as dad's favorite, I guess. But yeah, it, it's the, they, they pick this up. It's like, well, according to this, he's been asleep for 500 years. It happens to be that he had the perfect combination of chemicals in the in the chamber to freeze him just like our modern cryo sleep and i'm like what was buck doing that he spilled a lot of powerful chemicals in his main cabin before <laughs> getting frozen this I sounds like buck messed something up so my immediately thought me thought is is this guy really going to be our hero cuz this sounds like someone didn't follow instructions now, maybe they put that in the TV show, and they repeated a few times that it was just this fluke that he happened to have just the right chemical composition around him, and it, who could have expected this to happen? And this is the only way he survived. Maybe they put all of that in there so kids watching this wouldn't start climbing into their freezers <laughs> thinking, I'm going to find out what the 25th century is like. You've got a very yeah, scary good point there. That reminds me. Uh, I very, very seldom reference South Park, but South Park does have an episode that is a pretty good parody of the the intro and premise for Buck Rogers. Oh, boy. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not usually a South Park watcher for its ability to yeah. hyper-compress the exact si sort of awkward I find unbearable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I might have to take a look at that one after this I episode. Might, I might just show you that clip at some point. Sounds good. But there's Princess Ardala who's running this trade missions slash sneak attack, and she's got um, her lieutenant, second-in-command, Lackey, is Kane, known as Killer Kane in some of the old Buck Rogers comics and things. He doesn't seem like as much of a killer as a bureaucrat in this one. He's got a killer golf swing, more, more in this scenario. Oh, and speaking of Killer Kane, or speaking of Kane in, uh, in this TV show, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, did you recognize the actor? No. Imagine him 20 or 25 years older. Mm. Imagine him thinner, wearing a suit. Imagine him huh? standing up and getting shot. Huh? He played Mr. Vargo in Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. Oh my goodness. Recognize him now? Yeah. He's got this odd look, but it's so cool and so expressive that... Oh my goodness, that's only... Oh. Yeah, that's... Oh, dang, that's Hen cool. Henry Silva. Very, very distinctive character actor. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Buck Rogers is taken in by the the draconians and kane suspects that buck is a uh, a spy from earth trying to find out whether this trade mission is on the level trying to find out their secret weapons 
And they they thaw him out because they have the right technology to safely thaw him out and keep him alive. And then they immediately drug him. Yeah, yeah. He he asks for an aspirin because he's so confused as to where he's where he's been and he's been frozen for so long. He's got a headache, and so they say, "Let's bring him a pain, like a pain reliever." And they pretty much just inject him with a ton of morphine. So the first scenes in which we see and hear Buck Rogers and he's saying anything is he is drugged to the gills. This man oh, is no out pun, of- but Gil Gerard then gets us to <laughs> gets to play this really funny, goofy scene. So they they set you up right away. This is not going to be this is going to be over the top space opera with the bad guy empire and our drugged out hero. This is not going to be taking itself too seriously. Well, th- yeah, that's the thing. It's like a dramatic dark setup is here and now he's stoned. <laughs> immediately off the bat and it that is yeah that is such a tone set for this entire show because i mean we go we go from that to we'll send him back to earth with a tracker on him and then we almost play out scene for scene the same i don't trust him but he's here we'll use him but i don't trust him that we just saw the dr- draconians do by the people of earth once he lands there it's the same sort of pattern <laughs> You're right. It does make sense, though. And I kind of appreciate the fact that it's not, well, the people of Earth welcome him with open arms. They have reason to be suspicious of him, too, because he's coming into the middle of this tense situation and nobody knows where he's from or who he is. Everyone who is tracked from birth in this in the future, just like there's nothing on him. Well, what? Yeah, he's he's a human. He well, I was going to say he speaks English, but so does the entire universe. And yet, he's not in anybody's records or anybody's database. How is that possible? And they're very confused. So, of course, what do the humans do in the future when they're confused? They hand it off to the robots. They, they hand them off, it off to the robots. And there are, there are a couple of different kinds of robots. There are what they refer, refer to as the drones, because droids was trademarked. And the drones are these little ambulatory, what you'd think of as a sci-fi robot. But then there are the artificial intelligences. The main one that we interact with in this series is named Dr. Theopolis. Or Theo, as uh, Buck will insist on calling him. And Dr. Theopolis, like the other advanced artificial intelligences, the council of which runs everything about New Chicago and possibly the planet, they're in these like little miniature hatbot canister disc sorts of things with lights and flashing things some of which suggest a face i i I, i'm sorry i'm just gonna call it as i saw it new chicago is run by digital deep dishes (laughs) that's about right it's these it's this you know kind of pie pan shape metal to metal uh, you know cup full of electronic parts into the vague shape of a face that lights up in different ways when it's talking with a glass cover on it. It there is something so weird. It's this hockey puck like, you know, deep dish pizza style disc that that's would, just talking. That would make a pretty good good uh uh PC case though, wouldn't it? It really would actually. That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. It it'd be it'd be easy enough to do to do work with, you know, even just at scale, just set up an Arduino, the Bluetooth, to be able to connect to your phone, and you could have fun with that. So Dr. Theopolis is one of the main robots or computers that we we deal with, and that has a personality. And the other one 
is Tweaky. I can't tell if it's the best or worst character. I liked Dr. Theopolis. I honestly liked him more than Buck at various occasions. Tweaky is divisive to me because there's part of me that wants to love the concept of the 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 sassy and slightly out of its depth droid the i don't want to be here and why are you making me come here but at the same time everything tweaky says starts with bd 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 and then saying what they what he's thinking and between that and the weird and the movement they give this actor it is a a trip to watch because there is something about the i'm stuck here that is a bit too physical sometimes yeah, I don't know exactly what they were going for with Tweaky within the narrative. Outside the narrative, I'm sure it was just, we got to have a funny robot. Star Wars had funny robots. Let's make sure we get some in there. So they invented Tweaky. And Tweaky's not a bad creation if your mandate is to create a funny robot. But it's a funny robot that's like a short Borscht Belt comedian. <laughs> it's like he's coming out with these one-liners out of nowhere. Half of them seem to be in a... In a New York or Yiddish kind of sensibility or sense of humor, occasionally, occasionally vocabulary. Well, uh, when 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 Buck Rogers is finally starting to come to the initial terms of what's happening to him, he asks for a drink, and when given to when given the drink by Tweaky, uh, Tweaky is res- uh, you know offering it to him in bidi 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 lahayam. It's like okay. <laughs> now Tweaky was a dual cast role. Oh, okay. In the suit was uh, an actor named Felix Silla, and the voice of Tweaky, mm-hmm. Mel Blanc. Oh, that's Mel Blanc. Oh, who does... Is that Daffy Duck? That is almost all of the Looney Tunes characters. Oh, wow. Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig. Mel, Mel Blanc was the voiceover guy for characters. His voiceover... And dubbing acting wasn't the thing it is today, and somebody decided, well, we we need a voiceover for for a funny robot. He's kind of a cartoon character. Let's hire Mel Blanc, and they did. And um, yeah, he does a pretty good job with it. But still, it's a weird personality, a weird character. Now that I think of him as a Looney Tune, it makes so much more sense. That actually makes that click in a way. But it does mean you have kind of this cartoon character following around the cast, and that means. Anytime you think the serious is going to get started again, Tweaky will put a stop to that. Tweaky will will immediately kill that on the spot. And I'd say two-thirds of the time, it works fine, it's written well, it moves into the scene just fine. And uh, one-third of the time, everything just stops dead in my mind, because it's like, where did this come from? (laughs) What on earth does that have to do with anything? Somebody just decided we needed a comedy beat in here. Absolutely. There was a couple of lines, because as the first two-parter goes through we wind up with this back and forth uh see there was a tracking device he must be working for them but he helped point this out to us and helped save us from this other thing and and we'll trust him and then he sneaks away on the enemy ship he must be informing on us and uh, there's something with a dance party i got really confused as to how we wound up at a dance party at some point well the the whole reason why the draconian flagship was coming to earth and earth was allowing this was because they were going to sign a treaty and a trade agreement and they needed to sign the trade agreement because earth was getting really low on resources 
And one of the reasons for that was there were pirates harassing the space shipping lanes and preventing supplies from getting to Earth. Now, what Earth didn't know was that the pirates were also draconian and they were using these this false flag pirate uh, attack uh, campaign to force Earth into lowering its guard by letting Draconia come in and, and pretend to be the savior with the trade agreement. Instead, Draconia was going to just come in and take over Earth and take all of its resources. But the party was the celebration of the arrival of the Draconian delegation and the signing of the peace treaty. And it's got, it starts out with the very formal dancing that is, is the, the modern style. And somehow Buck convinces the DJ to reinvent electronic dance. Yeah. With about three sentences of description and gyration Directed at the electro piano player who was leading the band, he reinvents rock and roll and invites uh, Princess Ardala of the Draconians to dance with him. And and Princess Ardala got his attention earlier when he was drugged out and, and up on the ship. Uh, she's very tall. She doesn't wear very much. Except when she's dressed for a, like a special formal occasion like this dance, in which case she wears much less. <laughs> and so, yeah, he she got she got Buck Rogers' attention. Oh yeah, uh, I am assuming Draconia Prime must be a very warm planet. I guess so. And um, they have a lot of sunscreen. I guess. Yeah. If they dress that way. The men, oh, I was going to say the men don't dress that way, but some of them do. We've got the the kind of hulking bodyguard type person who never wears a shirt. Yeah, shirts seem to be his enemy. <laughs> he actually, I think, does more damage to Buck's shirt in the fight than he did to Buck in the one time they brawl with each other. <laughs> right. He might have been trying to attack the shirt, not yeah. Buck Rogers. And while Princess Ardala has gotten Buck's attention... Uh, Buck has gotten Colonel Deering's attention. She doesn't like him. He's he doesn't he doesn't follow orders. He thinks he knows all that, which they they show that he does. And yet, of course, she's attracted to him because he's the guy who has confidence from the 20th century in the the world of the 25th century. It's not like I think you're a good pilot or anything, Buck Rogers, but Babaka. <laughs> There's a little bit of that going on oh, here. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, and and there's a lot of the you know the princess and the scoundrel. They were going for a uh, princess Leia, um, not wanting to admit she's attracted to Han Solo, kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. So, and that 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 continues uh, uh, throughout the series. But yeah, that dance scene was was just odd because a lot of the plot in that first story is driven by what happens at that scene. Yeah, of all of the places to drive the plot, though, the the dance floor is not where I expected, and then it turns into, um, I don't trust you, and come to the personal chambers of the Princess of Draconia, where it's almost implied like she wants Buck Rogers to help initiate a coup against her own father. That seems pretty clear, that she wants to rule the Empire... And she can't do it. She can't do it without a, a man at her side. And none of the men in her in Draconia are anything other than sycophants and bureaucrats like Kane. 
So she wants a real man, which apparently means one that's 500 years old. You know, the one that you've only seen either dancing what would be considered crazily for you or drunk. Yes. That's the one you want. Guy who can move his hips and handle his drugs. That's the guy she wants. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. And he goes along with it. And of course, Colonel Deering and the other folks from Earth think that he's betraying them and going off to work with uh, the Draconians. But in fact, he was going up there to find evidence of the fact that they, going up there, going back to the Draconian ship, to find evidence of the fact that they had weapons aboard and that this was not a peaceful trade delegation. And he like then comes back and reports that, or did that go straight into the, the scramble all ships scenario? I think... You know, it it becomes such a blur. There were several space battles throughout this, but ultimately, he sabotages the Draconian starfighters so that they explode as soon as they leave the flight deck. They're sliding very cartoonishly large missiles with fins into the engines of the ships, and it's the cutaway to the all over the Earth fleet like stationed around the draconian flagship watching his fighters fly out the fly out the catapult and immediately explode as they fire up their engines <laughs> and it's the fire on any fighters none of them are making it right well so, stand ready men <laughs> so all these fighters and bombers are leaving the draconian ship and exploding immediately the only time any of them get through is when tweaky and dr theopolis pull a gun on buck rogers to confirm whether or not he's with the Earth's side right just like I'm, they, I'm here literally rewiring this to explode because you- they followed him up there because they thought he was up to no good and they were responsible for keeping an eye on him oh they and they find him in a helmet of the draconian army because he knocked out a guy and stole a uniform and working inside of a control panel it's like you must be for them it's called steal uniform and (laughs) sabotage please trust me and that's what um colonel deering and the others think when they're flying to try to um to take out the draconian ship and the the fighters and bombers that are stationed on it but they all realize eventually that uh, uh, what Buck was doing and that he proved that the the pirates were draconian and the draconians had brought lots of weapons and it was all a ruse. And and they, uh, I think Carol Deering saves him from the exploding ship, him and, uh, and Theo and Tweaky. Yeah, she does. She pulls like a ear, an e-brake turn into a a cargo bay and loads them in. Apparently the fighter ships have like two passengers seats in a- each fighter apparently it's it is sort of a utility vehicle in many ways cuz you know, there's only so many models they wanted to build i guess but they use this this is a fighter but it's also used for long range transport and anything else they need but yeah it's, you know get into the back and then they fly away as the thing is exploding even more dra- drastically and that's the the but based upon all of this, they, they realize that Buck was, was working for Earth after all. He's too much of a loose cannon to officially make part of their military, but he's too useful as a un- unlabeled and completely anonymous agent that they can leverage to ever lose him. So, so they kind of want him to get all Jason born for them, and they yeah. sort of leave that open offer that we may come to you from time to time and, and ask if you would agree to help us with special missions or, or emergencies. 
So we've freed up the writer's room from having to explain things. <laughs> but it, that right there, it's like, this is all dramatic and, and bold and, you know, pow, kabam, knock a man out, all that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's full of one-liners and quips and the strangely choreographed fight scenes and random lines from Tweaky and an art style that feels... There was a lot of other shows, a lot of Jerry Anderson shows and such, where it feels like if you were to pick something up, it would have a weight. It would have this functionality in terms of its physicality. Everything in Buck Rogers, for some reason, has the feel, visually to me, of those styrofoam boulders you'll see in certain movies that just bounce nothing like a rock would. Everything looks like you could pick it up and shake it like a toy on like a a box under the christmas tree and hear a light rattling sound because nothing seems to have the right weight or feel now i do have to give them some benefit of the doubt on that in that this was never intended to be shown on a Hmm. flat screen bigger than 50 inch high definition television this was designed to be seen on maybe a 19 inch if you're lucky standard def crt over broadcast television so a lot of the special effects some of the prop making and other things they don't hold up well to viewing on a modern television uh, compared to the way they would have seemed at the time and maybe it's just that you know they when i was watching this when i was 13 years old i was more forgiving of of what that stuff looked like i can understand that there's still something about the the cheesiness of environment and style that makes me it, it affects how I take how I take the narrative. A, a, a dramatic story, a, a dramatic Shakespeare play done with cardboard boxes has a has a feel to it, and yeah. there's something about that in this, and that that kind of it, it never loses that silly edge. Even when it's taking itself so seriously to me. Yeah, it, it, you're right. That does kind of heighten the silliness, which is, was already there from the characters and the dialogue to some extent. And you mentioned the fight choreography. I actually think that this show has some pretty good fight choreography for a network TV show of its time. It, it has excellent fight choreography for its actors. I don't always think the camera knows what to do when it happens. True. Yeah. The direction of the fight scenes is not always great. I think that the fighting itself, it's, it's pretty good. Narratively, it often makes no sense whatsoever because it's got the bad martial arts movie technique of having a whole crowd of bad guys fight the good guy one at a time, each waiting their turn. Like if two of you, just just two of the dozen of you decided to to rush him at the same time, you would win. And there are very often people with guns who have no idea what they are because they never use them. Like, you know, you've, you've got a gun right there. Instead, you're having all of your, your guys try to punch him one by one. Pick up the gun if your goal is to kill him. You've got a gun on him. Why don't you shoot him instead of having your psychic force him to jump into the pool of acid it's like 
Well, the psychic this could be easier, could be more effective. That's the psychic in that later episode you're describing literally later pulls a gun on someone out of someone else's belt holster. The psychic is the only person who understands how to threateningly wield a firearm. <laughs> but that's the thing, like after that first initial setup that kind of gives us the, this looming threat in the distance the fact that Earth constantly has other problems that need solving and Buck's relationship to the Earth forces that are there, we move into other sh- other episodes, which are either two parters or self-contained stories of little missions Buck, Buck is sent on. And they don't feel continuous. It's unless I mean, you can't you can't watch a two parter out of order, but I never felt like I didn't feel like the the later episode we watched couldn't have been placed before the earlier episode we watched of those. It it absolutely could. And this was part of episodic television at the time. You could not assume that people would have seen all of the episodes and you didn't want to make it impossible for someone to jump back in if they happened to have a, a school play to go to last week and they couldn't see Buck Rogers. So you couldn't have big story arcs that you would, would lose you if you didn't follow it week to week. The fact that this show had so many two-parters in its uh, its first season was kind of unusual, and it did make it kind of compelling watching this as a kid. Uh, a lot of shows would have maybe the premiere would be a two-parter. Maybe if it's a really intense show, the season finale would be a two-parter. But a bunch of two-parters in the middle of the uh, of the season, that was kind of counterproductive from the network's point of view, and yet they... They went with that for Buck Rogers, and in some ways, it's nice that they did because it harkens back to the serials in which you know, my dad would watch Buck Rogers in movie theaters. That makes a lot of sense. That's one thing that we've got to factor. This is a legacy character, even when this is being made. Part of the reason why this gets to be cheesy and why this gets to play these characters the way they do is that it is already a reboot. Of a thing. And so it can it can assume it, ha, it can both assume certain baseline understanding of the the narrative characters and it has something to refer back to in order to pull names and characters and plots and places and themes and reference. So we are definitely looking at this as a show in, in and of itself, but it's interesting to to reference the fact that this is pulling two-parters possibly because it's referring to the older form it previously had, or it might be able to be completely serious about a thing that I'm looking at and laughing my head off because it had weight in the other stories, and I can't, I don't know that specifically. But I've got to at least acknowledge that, that could be the case. That potential narrative ignorance could be a factor. Yeah, I I suspect that, and I've only seen little tiny bits of some of the old Buck Rogers stuff and read little bits of it. It some of it would seem funny now, but it was never intended to be really. It wasn't intended to be lighthearted in the way that this TV show was. This TV show was aware of its own silliness in a way that I think most of the Buck Rogers legacy was not. And some would see that as disrespectful. I see it as 
maybe kind of a maturing hmm. of of how you're handling this property. This is here for us to have fun. We're going to reference some serious things like the planet breaking, but we're here to have fun. And yeah, we'll have tense scenes, but we're not going to pretend this is anything but entertainment and it's light entertainment at that. And I can respect that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's self-contained stories were fun in it in their own right. They, they weren't as dramatic as that first part. I, the other two ones we watched were someone tried to steal Tweaky because they wanted to clone, make copies of Tweaky as Tweaky was to because Tweaky's a little special compared to the other robots with all the modifications and upgrades. Yeah, well, he's Buck special, I think, because of the relationship he had with Buck Rogers. Buck taught him to be creative and interesting and his own robot. And so they want to study him and make other robots that can be as adaptive in order to work a mine. Right, yeah. The miners were not being cooperative and they were beginning a labor organize, organization and such in this asteroid mine. So the bad guy who ran the asteroid mine wanted to, as you say, make lots of replicas of Tweaky, not to replace the miners, which surprised me. They it was to, or at least they were the way they were describing it. It was to assist the miners and have the robots do the things that were especially unpleasant and dangerous. I think if that plan had worked, the guy uh, in charge of the mine would have quickly realized. I don't necessarily need all of these human miners who need un- inconvenient things like food and air. I think he would have realized very quickly that a bunch of human miners he could negotiate with, a bunch of tweakies would drive him over the edge. And they're small, <laughs> so you know they could fit into smaller tunnels and things. Even if he only had seven of them, <laughs> they'd be really, really good at mining. The only problem might be when the <laughs> I think Ian knows where I'm going with this. When the uh the girl escaping from her evil queen uh, stepmother or whoever it was um uh takes care of their house and then eats the poison apple. But in the meantime, you've got these seven little robot miners. Beady 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 while you work. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I walked right into that one. Yes, you did. Oh, dang it. Uh, mean, meanwhile, the Earth Defense Force there is trying to move a a Spaceberg. I'm sorry, a comet. Let's call well, it. Well, it was made of oxygen, not water. Yeah, it was like this big, jagged crystal of frozen oxygen, as opposed to dirt and rock and water, like a comet. Where they got this, I don't know. They brought it through a Stargate, so they didn't find it within the inner solar system. Yeah, they, 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 this, this one, this one is, is quite the long milk run, but it's we've got to get it, we've got to throw it at the polar ice cap at just the right angle. Right, and if, if they miss the, the entry window into the atmosphere, it will explode and destroy one-third to one-half of the planet. I don't know. That seems like a kind of a high risk situation. Can you like park it in orbit and chop smaller pieces out of it at a time? Maybe. Yeah. The robots have decided that uh, Chicago is the one to plan to do this for the rest of the world. <laughs> I get the impression that new Chicago is like the capital 
of the world. I guess so. it's where the defense force is based. It's where the smartest scientists and robots are based. Yeah. But, I mean, it's still, it's like, this feels really, really haphazard, the way they do it. And it ends with, you know... Luckily, the resources we, we the resources we mugged off the guy that tried to kill us are exactly what we need to fix the other problem. <laughs> right? Yeah. He, in addition to being an unscrupulous um, mine owner, he, what he was mining and creating was like the the most powerful explosive in the world, in the universe, and uh, and they used some of that to nudge the comet back in, in into line. Excuse me, the ice, the the spaceberg, the spaceberg, and that one was honestly had some more fun and action in it that one was interesting because you got to see a lot of everyone gets agency even tweaky to like decided to fly a ship out to save someone and 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 be the hero for a moment everyone got a moment in the spotlight in that episode yeah there was a lot of kidnapping and recapturing initially they kidnapped tweaky and buck rogers goes after him and saves tweaky then they kidnap buck rogers and they the the bad guy essentially sends a ransom demand to Earth, and Doctor Hewer and the others say, "Well, we don't negotiate with terrorists, so oh, that's too bad for Buck." And Tweaky though hijacks a ship and uh, um, goes to trade him, turn himself in for Buck, and of course he gets captured yeah, too. So a smash cut to Buck Rogers being interrogated. They open the door, and Tweaky's captured too, and saying, "I messed up." But the the fact that Tweaky did that is is demonstrating the very imagination and self direction that made Tweaky valuable to the uh, the mine owner. That, 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 that was Princess Peach's favorite episode of Buck Rogers. <laughs> Honestly, the episode we watched in the middle between that one and the the intro uh, was was honestly the weirdest. They went to Space Vegas. And we're not just saying that as a quick shorthand to let you know what the episode was like. The title of the episode is Vegas in Space. They really didn't spend a lot of time and imagination in these uh, episode titles. Other episode titles, well, the the other one was um, uh, Tweaky is Missing. Yeah, this is not a creatively named show at times. Planet of the Slave Women. Okay, we didn't watch that one, but I think we can guess what that's going to be about. Yeah. There's another there's Planet of the Amazon Women. Theme. Yeah, there's there's always some woman for Buck Rogers to charm and have him and 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 help him escape the bad guy's clutches. In the uh, the one where Tweaky was kidnapped, it was one of the trio of woman telekinetic enforcers that the the mine owner used. He kept them. Uh, he kept them in like a lit closet off to the side. He kept pressing a button and calling them out to the floor. Right. It's like they were just stood in this shallow closet, uh, in his office. Did they just stand there all day until he pushed that button? Do they have chairs that we couldn't? See? What is going on I, with? That? I called it lit. Actually, I we only ever see it when the doors open. Is this a refrigerator scenario? Do we know the light stays on when the door is closed? <laughs> That's just where he keeps his telekinetic assassins. I guess you know, so. In the telekinetic assassin cupboard. Uh, uh, the the Vegas in space episode gets awkward real fast, just because it's the entire Vegas planet is owned by a very evil, very creepy guy. Yeah. A right. a. Hi, you're coming over with me to, to have a drink. Oh, I don't drink. No, you're coming with me to have a drink now. 
This got rapey kind of fast. It didn't. Oh, goodness. And if you don't come back to my place, you cannot leave the planet and go home. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Which 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 is which immediately makes Buck Rogers and any property damage they do is very good. Go them. But right. at the same time, it's also Buck Rogers and a future Air Force uh, person who is a little too chipper to do this bomb a TSA checkpoint in Vegas. I guess, yeah. After winning a lot in blackjack. Yeah, it's about right. But it was an evil TSA. It thing. was an evil TSA. Owned and operated by the bad guy to keep people from uh, from ever going home if they um, uh, if they displeased him. And, and to keep them from bringing computers in. Because everybody knows that if you bring a calculator with you to Las Vegas, you can immediately beat the house in every game. That's why they restricted what appeared to be four-banger calculators yeah, that, that you were not allowed to bring with you. That was very dramatic. They find a man with a computer in his, on his wrist, and they throw it into the open pit of immediate off-screen explosion. There are times when I would like to have like a barrel like that, just where I'm really, really tired of this laptop. Into the barrel it goes, <laughs> so I get, where I get to watch it smoke and explode. <laughs> My goodness. But yeah, th- th- that that whole episode is a little bit like, we're here now, we're here now, we did the thing, we're gone! So yeah, <laughs> Explosion! It is, it is very dated in, its, in its, its attitudes, its portrayal of people, its portrayal of men and women. Um, some of that can be, uh, can be hard to take. Oh, and in the midst of all of this, though, we get Buck Rogers having an existential crisis at the blackjack table about the fact that everyone he knows, he knew is dead. Like, just in the middle of this way more upbeat episode than it seemed, with all this explosion and drama, it's like, oh my goodness, everyone is dead. Well, anyway, back to the job. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, every, Buck. Like, every once in a while, that occurs to him, and he realizes that. Buck's having a flashback for a moment. Please stay calm. So I think, yeah, this gives you a you know, pretty good idea of what you would get if you watched any of this. What we haven't, we talked a little bit about the props and things. We haven't talked about the style. Oh, good. Architecture and the clothes. And, and what do you think about the style of this? I actually really loved most of the outdoor shots they showed. Most of the, like, the establishing shot, some of them painted and some of them tiny miniature work. A lot of it has this really nice modernist aesthetic, nice concrete and glass buildings. Honestly, they have some of their establishing of like what the earth uh defense force and i keep on calling it i think i think i'm referencing other things there but it was something along those lines yeah Yeah. but like their campus is honestly a very modern open concept little seating areas for people to have meetings it's a very it, it, it was actually pretty accurate in terms of its architectural aspects i bet they used some like university where most of the buildings were built in the 60s it had that kind of a look to it to me. That's that brutalist, sharp angle, concrete construction all over the place. Yeah, you add a you add a bit of modern ergonomics and decent Wi-Fi, and it. I've seen plenty <laughs> of buildings like that. So I was I liked that. It's the it's the once you get into any room, there's a lot of un like weirdly bulging out panels everywhere. At times, like. Uh, they, they they lock him in an interrogation room that looks like someone glued the bottoms of milk cart of m- like milk jugs everywhere 
because it's got that like frosted plastic glow going on yeah a lot a lot of weird interior design and a lot of jumpsuits i think there was a fair amount of influence from things like logan's run as well where you've got that overly bright overly clean overly antiseptic sort of way of existing as humans and yet you know the humans seemed relatively happy and self-possessed not buck rogers level but it was it was an odd mix sometimes i think they had a bunch of influences from a bunch of different bits of science fiction from the 15 years preceding and they didn't fit together all that well yeah there's never a po- there's never a point where that outside and that in and then the corresponding inside felt cohesive right i would always see like okay there's here's the outside of the buildings and where in the world is this office <laughs> but and then it's a bunch of people in jumpsuits going around some of the uniforms and such like were all over the place in terms of what they had it felt very raid the costume closet at times because characters would have you know formal looking pauldrons on one like you know, these big shoulder pads going on almost. And then they'd be in these tight jumpsuits next and no one's helmet ever looks like it fits right. Yeah. It, it really does show how you're on the cusp of the seventies and the eighties and that some of the styles with the jumpsuits and things, they looked very seventies others with the shoulder pads and the stretchy fabrics cut in geometrically. It was very, very eighties. And, um, and the kind of tight uniforms, yet with shoulder pads that you see Colonel Deering and some of the other Defense Force people wearing, you really are seeing the 70s turn into the 80s in this show that ran from like 79 to 81. And for two eras that have distinct visual styles in terms of costuming and the like, those don't mesh very well. Yeah, you're right. Now, the the costuming... That we see Buck the the clothes we see Buck Rogers in and the clothes we see most of the space people in off of Earth, that's all very eighties. And I'll I just yeah, I'll take as much of that as they want to give me. I, I happen to have this theory that Buck Rogers didn't only kind of show what was going what was beginning to take hold as we got into the eighties. I think maybe Buck Rogers caused the eighties. <laughs> That if it weren't for Buck, if it were not for Buck Rogers in the 25th century, the 70s just would have kind of kept going and being the 70s. And yet this this show had enough influence in its short run that it it created the 80s because some of the the hairstyles with the big shiny curly hair, some of those uh, clothing styles, you saw stuff like that for a good eight or nine years into the 80s. So so just like he did that to. The, the people of the future. He did that to the people of the then in terms of a man shows up with just sheer charisma enough to affect change in their daily lives. Right. How do I live like him? I know I have big shirts with with puffy sleeves and no buttons. And uh, and, and very big, shiny hair. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what have you done, Buck? And, you know, I, I, have, I, I think that some of the casting may be why this uh, show was so interesting to um, so many of uh, me, me and so many of my peers late in junior high. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, there was, um, you know, Princess Ardala 
and her her scant wardrobe. But really, I think most of our interest as far as the female characters in this went to uh, Colonel Deering. Erin Gray's terrific, beautiful, smart, tough character. She does play a very, she is one of those actresses who can immediately, like, be a presence in a room. She could never walk in and not be noticed. Right, and that made her a character who could, could, made made Colonel Deering a character who could share the screen with Buck Rogers and hold her own and command as much attention. And at least in the episodes that we watched, we didn't see as many scenes between them as I remember there being. Now, maybe it just happens to be the episodes that we picked. And maybe it was that the few scenes where they are facing off and working together made such a big impression on me that that's what I remember. But they do have a they do have an excellent back and forth every time they are on screen. Yes, Uh, she she is able to play. Uncertain and slightly annoyed, but rolling with it. And she's a good enough leader that she she is directing what has to happen, but she recognizes when some there's something new and valuable, and she recognizes when a plan has to change. It's a good character in that way. I think we did see at least one other bit where she is r- practicing with Buck and learning off of what he's doing, but also teaching him simultaneously. Yes. And that's great, because being able to just give a scene like that is immediately giving credibility to everything both the i trust you to learn uh, i trust you enough to follow what i'm saying but i also know enough to learn from what you're doing but boom we've got a dynamic yep huzzah so like you say we um we watched a few episodes of this we did not watch all of it by any means we we stayed within the first season there it went into a second season there were a few changes as i recall into the second season where we get more Recurring alien, non-human characters and such. Okay. But... Yeah, every, every, this is definitely an everyone is a, a person in a different costume. Not, not even with different makeup, but just a human of space. Right. Everybody from Earth, everybody from space, they're all humans of one kind or another. But, um, you know, based on what you've seen, I think it may be time to, uh, to come to our usual questions. Oh. So, uh... It is a TV show, so our first question is, binge or no binge? I'm going to say no binge. I had fun. I was laughing, but I was laughing at plenty. This is a cheesy enough show that you're not going to miss too much not seeing it. I enjoyed various aspects of it, but I don't even know if this is something you should need to go find to get those bits, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, and I'm it pains me to say this. I would not have expected to uh to be saying this, but I've got to say no binge as well. The exception is if you are just such a huge huge fan of that time period, if the early 80s is like absolutely your jam and you want to see this terrific example of it or in my theory the cause of it. We would have just gone right from the 70s into the 90s otherwise. Yeah, go ahead and watch it. But otherwise, yeah, I'm not going to recommend anybody spend the time on this. There are, there are better things to do with your time. It was fun revisiting it, but unless you've got some other reason to do so, don't bother binging it. But that leads into our other question, which it does is interesting in this. Because as I described, this is a, re- this is a reboot 
already. So in some ways we're talking about this show, but in some ways we wind up having to at least talk or at least acknowledge that we're talking about the brand of Buck Rogers as a whole. You're right. There are a few different ways in which we can approach this question. And in case you're new to the podcast, that question is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. Revive meaning more stories in this same continuity. Reboot is same premise, same show, but but start fresh, like the new Battlestar Galactica versus the old Battlestar Galactica. And uh, rest in peace is just, you know, let it go, let it be, don't need to make any more. But you're right, it's it's more complicated in this because it is not a standalone property. It is the 1979 version of a character who had been around since 1928. And in some ways, I feel like that means we cannot say revive. Maybe I haven't seen, we haven't seen through season two, but at this point, it has been long enough that I would think you would need to refresh that that brand if were you to go were you to do so. Continuing off of this might be a little tricky because you'd be acknowledging only only one part of it when it's got all this other history to to pull off of as well. So I'm I'm kind of removing that from the table. And I'm going to actually say I would be very fascinated by a reboot. I could see a Netflix you know mini series kind of reboot of this I cannot tell if I want it to stay dark and dramatic or if I want it to embrace the silly to some extent or the balance of silly and dramatic I saw in this show and just do it with a modern budget and effects to be able to give it some oomph. I mean, I've got an idea of who I'd want to see play Buck Rogers in either of those versions. Oh, cool. And I I think I'm with you in that. I could see a revival of this, but I can't see the point of a revival of this. I think its take on Buck Rogers was very much a take of Buck Rogers in its time, and you'd be better off reviewing the whole legacy of Buck Rogers and deciding how best to do that in 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I I agree. A reboot of some kind would be better, but I wouldn't want it to take itself too seriously, which is unusual for me. I'm usually somebody who's really fascinated by playing really, really seriously something that is usually kind of light and silly. But this is supposed to be light and silly. Even when it took itself more seriously back in the 20s and 30s, there was something light about it. And I wouldn't want it to lose that by trying to get too dark and heavy. I, I I was looking at it and thinking, oh, you could do a, a a serious one and like give an explanation for why you know someone set it up that he would be cryopreserved and you know almost you know that and I just like no that actually just took away from this. Let it be. How how did you survive? Just confusion and and bewilderment. Let that be the the unexpected thing. Uh, I actually was thinking Matt Lanter, known from Timeless could play an excellent buck rogers in that new version yeah you're right he could he could play that he could, he could keep it f- light-hearted but a little bit he, he play dramatic when he has to i could enjoy that very much and do, going too dark would mess with it in a way mm-hmm. right there are plenty of uh, plenty of shows plenty of stories you can tell in a dark and serious way buck rogers does not have to be one of those no Get, Give a man who's faced with a 
an a, 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 an a bewildering and unexpected scenario of a future he does not know, and being the guy who doesn't understand what's going on, he f- gets fed up and throws a punch, and something <laughs> finally happens to a stalemate that's been lasting decades and centuries. That's the sort of story that is this is excellent for. Yep. And I'd love to I'd love to see someone try that. But in that same way that I was not saying you needed to binge this, I don't know if it needs to be done. It would be fun if someone else wants to come in and do so, but I'm not clamoring for them to do so now. Yeah. I I'd be interested. I would watch it if it came came along, but I'm not going to feel like the world has missed an opportunity if it does not for a while. Well, I think that's our verdict then on Buck Rogers in the 25th century. And uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century, unless we get cryopreserved and uh, we resume this podcast 500 years from now, in which case we'll still be talking about media from the 20th century. Oh, yeah, it'll be what we know. That's right. And we'll, we'll introduce 20th century TV to the citizens of the 25th century so that they'll understand life a little better when we show them all the very special episodes. <laughs> but until then, and uh, at least for as long as the internet is working, Ian, where can people find you? Uh, I can be found on Twitter as ItemCrafting or on Twitch as ItemCraftingLive. And you can find me on the website MatthewFPorter.com. You can find me on Twitter at ByMatthewPorter. You can find the podcast at the website immproject.com, and there you will find links to our Patreon. Thank you for, uh, for to everyone who uh, supports the show. And you will also find a link to our store where you can buy you know, T-shirts and coffee mugs and various other things related to the show and, and the things that we've talked about on the show. And you can also find the show on Twitter at IMMPCast. And we'd love to hear from you on Twitter or on our Discord. You know, come chat with us. Tell us what you thought of shows. Tell us you know, if, uh, what you think of the concept of Buck Rogers reboot or as it was. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and who would you cast in a new Buck Rogers reboot? Although I think your idea is a great one, Ian. Well, thank you. So until then, thanks for downloading, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. And in the meantime, go find something new to watch.